In the spring of 1986, two TV heavyweights held a Hollywood press conference. Mega-hit producer Aaron Spelling and sitcom legend Lucille Ball. They were together for a momentous announcement. For the first time since Here's Lucy went off the air 12 years earlier, Lucille Ball was returning to weekly TV in a series that Spelling would produce. It was a kind of sentimental reunion. Back in 1955, when Spelling was starting out as an unknown actor, he played a small role in an episode of I Love Lucy. Spelling had never produced a sitcom. He was best known for shows like Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, and Dynasty. Nevertheless, he approached ABC with Lucille Ball, and the combination was sold immediately. Spelling left the creative execution in Ball's hands, reasoning that she'd already forgotten more about making a sitcom than he ever knew. Ball knew just who she wanted as her writers, the same people who had been with her for all of her career, from the radio sitcom My Favorite Husband, through I Love Lucy, to The Lucy Show, to Here's Lucy. And she also wanted, as her co-star, the man who had played opposite her for decades, and who was now 80, Gail Gordon. Ball herself was 75, and was ready to go back to work on a show loaded with slapstick comedy and physical pratfalls, with scripts written by people she'd worked with for 40 years. I ask you, what could go wrong? I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. Lucille Ball's career stretched from the early 1930s until the late 1980s. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we featured her in a couple of episodes. One was called Liz, Dick, Lucy in the Ring, and it's about what happened when Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton unexpectedly decided to guest star on Ball's sitcom Here's Lucy with the massive diamond ring that Burton had bought Taylor. In another episode, titled Fade to Blacklist Part 2, we looked at what happened when Ball came dangerously close to being blacklisted in the early 1950s, just as I Love Lucy was at the peak of its popularity. For this episode, we begin when Lucio Ball was enjoying a kind of career revival. It was the mid-1980s, 1985 to be exact. Ball had been out of the spotlight for more than 10 years. Her sitcom Here's Lucy ended its run in 1974, and that same year, Ball was cast in the title role of the movie version of the Broadway musical Mame. The movie was a commercial and artistic disaster and hasten Ball's exit from public life. But by the mid-1980s, Lucille Ball's sitcoms, particularly I Love Lucy, were still on the air, and they'd become an indelible part of American pop culture. The producers of a TV movie called Stone Pillow saw an opportunity for the kind of stunt casting that made headlines. Lucille Ball as a dirty, unkempt, hostile, homeless woman who lived on the streets of New York City. Hey, crazy lady. What you got in there? Must be something good, huh? Silverware and junk. Bet she stole it. 
Now, stay away from my stuff. We could put you away, Grandma. Hey, get out of here, you bums. Gonna get you, lady. Bag lady, why don't you pick another corner? Because this is my corner, that's why. This ain't no bedroom. I can sleep on any street I want. This is a free country. Ah, you're for the birds. For people who remember Lucille Ball, before she became Lucy Ricardo, Ball's skill as a dramatic actress wasn't totally surprising. Ball appeared in dozens of movies in the 1930s and 40s, often in serious roles. The reviews for Stone Pillow almost unanimously praised Lucille Ball, even as they said the movie itself was nothing special. But Stone Pillow was more than a TV movie. It was a symbol, an indication that Lucille Ball might be talked into one more TV series. The idea was triggered by Bill Cosby's recent success with The Cosby Show, and by the fact that Andy Griffith was coming back to weekly TV with Matlock. The new project, which would be called Life with Lucy, automatically became one of the most anticipated shows of the upcoming fall season, and Lucille Ball began getting the band back together, at least the ones who were still alive. Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll Jr. began writing for Lucille Ball in the late 1940s when she came to network radio in a sitcom called My Favorite Husband. Ball played Liz Cooper, the wacky wife of a banker, George, played by Richard Denning. Liz Cooper was a lot like Lucy Ricardo. In fact, Ball began developing her comic mannerisms on the radio show. Been with us for 10 years now, and I think it's high time I told you how much I appreciate you. Well, thank you, Mrs. Cooper. Really, Katie, you've been loyal, faithful, trustworthy, and the most efficient cook and housekeeper in town. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Cooper. How much do you want to borrow? <laughs> Why, Katie, just because I compliment you, it doesn't mean I want to borrow money. Oh, I'm sorry. That remark was suspicious, uncalled for, and all I wanted was $14.95. Will you lend it to me? Mrs. Cooper, I only have one source of income. You. Ooh. My Favorite Husband was a hit on the radio, and CBS naturally wanted Ball to do a version on TV. And as probably the whole world knows by now, Ball said yes to TV, but no to My Favorite Husband. She wanted to play opposite her real-life husband, Desi Arnaz, and keep him close to home rather than touring all over the country with his band. Ball got her wish, and CBS got I Love Lucy. The bond between Ball and CBS lasted through two more sitcoms, The Lucy Show, which ran from 1962 to 1968, and Here's Lucy, which ran from 1968 until 1974. Lucille Ball pretty much owned Monday nights on CBS from 1951 until the mid-1970s. When Here's Lucy went off the air, Ball ended a span of almost 25 years of weekly TV. And maybe that success was why she thought it would be so easy to pick up right where she'd left off, including by once again casting Gail Gordon as her combination of sidekick and comic nemesis. They had a long history together. Ball had begun working with Gail Gordon on My Favorite Husband, where he played George Cooper's boss at the bank. Ball loved working with Gordon so much that she wanted him to play Fred Mertz on I Love Lucy, but Gordon was busy on another sitcom, Our Miss Brooks, 
where he played high school principal Osgood Conklin opposite Eve Arden as English teacher Connie Brooks. After My Favorite Husband went off the air in 1951, Gordon and Ball wouldn't reunite until he joined The Lucy Show in 1962, and he remained Ball's second banana until Here's Lucy bit the dust. Gordon had built a long career on radio with his slow burn technique. His regular voice was smooth and melodious, but with every comic complication, he would gather steam until he exploded. Incidentally, Gordon's impeccable diction is all the more impressive when you consider that he was born with a serious speech impediment, a cleft palate. His ever-present mustache was worn to cover the scars from surgery. By the mid-1980s, Gordon was retired and living in Palm Springs. He was 80, but if he would come out of retirement for anyone, it was Lucy. She went on to gather a few more crew members from I Love Lucy, including sound man Cam McCullough, who was 86. The ironic thing was, McCullough was going deaf, which could have been seen as an omen. The concept of Life with Lucy was right out of 1964. Widowed Lucy Barker co-owned a hardware store in Pasadena, California, with her late husband's partner, Curtis McGibbon, played by Gordon. They also happened to be in-laws. His son was married to her daughter, and Lucy lived with the family, including two kids. The hardware store offered lots of opportunities for slapstick, and the family dynamic would allow Lucy to play off adults and grandchildren. The idea was that Lucy was the most energetic person in the household. In her very first scene in the very first episode, she's been out jogging and enters dancing to music she's listening to through her Walkman. Lucy wanted to do a show that demonstrated how older people could remain active and vibrant. It was even reflected in the show's theme song, sung by her buddy Edie Gourmet. It was a laudable goal, and it was also the basis of another show on another network on the same night. But the difference between Golden Girls and Life with Lucy, well, let's leave it at this. Lucille Ball didn't believe in subtlety. She used to tell her writers to avoid jokes that she called too sidey, too inside, too indirect, requiring too much thought. She believed audiences need to be hit over the head with a comedy bit, while on The Golden Girls, the humor was based more in reality. That was dumb of me to have tea this late. Now I'll go to sleep and have to get up to go. Yeah, and wake me up. You know, if you didn't drink before bedtime, you wouldn't have to wake up in the middle of the night. I don't drink before bedtime. I stop all liquids at noon, and I still wake up. I never have that problem. Never. I sleep like a log. I never get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I go in the morning. Every morning, like clockwork, at 7 a.m., I pee. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't wake up till late. <laughs> 
By contrast, on the first episode of Life with Lucy, all the jokes were physical. At the hardware store, Lucy climbs onto a rolling ladder and runs into Gail Gordon. Then she accidentally starts a fire and turns on an extinguisher that fills the store with foam. Gail Gordon reacts with his typical comic exasperation, but he looks like he's going to have a stroke. And seeing two people who are over 75 trying to keep from slipping in a room full of foam is awkward. Even before Life with Lucy aired, there were indications that taking this kind of approach was not wise. During the summer, Washington Post TV critic Tom Shales visited the set, reporting Lucy's enthusiastic comments with a skeptical tone and adding words that Lucy would never forgive him for, lack of stamina. On September 20th, Life with Lucy premiered and made the top 25 in the ratings in 23rd place, but each episode got a lower rating. The show was being beaten soundly by the facts of life on NBC. There were highlights. John Ritter guest starred in one episode as himself, beset by a star-struck Lucy. Thankfully, Ritter took most of the pratfalls in that episode, and he and Lucy played off of each other nicely. The same thing happened when Audrey Meadows guest starred in one episode as Lucy's competitive sister. The two women had a comic vibe reminiscent of the one between Ball and her longtime co-star Vivian Vance. And in fact, Meadows was invited to join the show as a regular, but she turned down the offer. Thirteen episodes of Life with Lucy were videotaped, but only eight aired. The show's run ended on November 15th. Here's Aaron Spelling. Um, the, we, I just want to talk about the Lucy show for another minute here. Uh, the show was not successful. Not at all. Was Lucy kind of past her prime, do you feel? No, 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 no. It was my fault. It was totally my fault. And I've said this a million times. The big mistake I made, and I loved her, but the big mistake, I listened to Lucy about the kind of show she wanted to do. She wanted to bring in her old riders, and she wanted, you know, Lucy climbing up a ladder trying to reach something in a store that she worked, and the audience going crazy when she'd stick this great leg out and almost fall off. Well, we were hysterical about it. We thought it was very funny. And then opening night, big audience, she did it. There was a gasp, and then we realized something. They were afraid she was going to fall at this age. That's not funny. I had begged, I wanted to play a grandmother helping her kids raise babies. She would have been hysterical in that. But uh, that's what she wanted to do, but it's my fault for doing it. I had a choice. She said, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but this is my thought. And uh, I, I'm sorry, but she was just great. And I'm sorry the show failed. That's why I don't do comedy anymore. If you're going to fail with Lucille Ball, you should not do comedy. I understand. <laughs> Life with Lucy was a rare failure in Lucille Ball's career and a bitter lesson. The formula that she believed in so strongly, the one that had been so successful for her over three decades, didn't fly with audiences of the 1980s. Ball retreated to her home in Beverly Hills, passing the time playing her favorite games, backgammon and word games like Password. She'd always been a willing contestant on the TV show. By mid-1986, Life with Lucy was a memory, 
But Lucille Ball's name came up in Washington, D.C. when the honorees were announced for that year's Kennedy Center Honors. Ball was on the list, as were Ray Charles, Jessica Tandy, and Hume Cronin. It was an honor perfectly timed to erase any memory of failure. But five days before the ceremony, on December 2, 1986, Desi Arnaz died of cancer. Lucille Ball went immediately from his funeral to the ceremony in Washington. Her Kennedy Center tribute began with a few words from Walter Matthau. In late 1943, I was in the Army Air Corps at March Field, California, waiting to be shipped out. When Joe Lewis and Lucille Ball came to entertain the troops, they did different things. <laughs> he was the heavyweight champion of the world, a kid out of Detroit, who destroyed the invincible symbol of Nazism in one round. Him I knew of, but Lucille Ball? I thought she was just another tall, leggy, willowy, beautiful showgirl, but that she was also a superb clown of infinite range was not known to me until that moment. In the early days at RKO, Lucy would say yes to almost any part. She would have swept the stage if that was the only way she could get on it. Fifteen years later, she owned the studio. <laughs> then along came TV. A lot of people told her, don't do it, Lucy, don't do it. It's a dead end. But Lucy said, let me at it. And at last, it was the perfect role. They let Lucy be Lucy. Every time she said, Ethel, I got an idea, we knew what was going to happen next. <laughs> she was the incurable schemer and dreamer who had bad luck. But it was her luminous innocence that always prevailed. There was no dream she wouldn't reach for and no fall she wouldn't take. Her side-splitting buffoonery was carved into her bone marrow by an exquisite understanding of the tragic sense of life, which she has turned into a delicious celebration. Then Ball's tribute included film clips from the peak of America's love affair with her as Lucy Ricardo, getting slowly plowed on Vitamita Vegemin while doing a live TV commercial, or frantically wrapping pieces of candy on an assembly line, or stomping grapes in Italy. Then came Robert Stack with a note from Desi. I love Lucy at just one mission, to make people laugh. Lucy gave it a rare quality. She can perform the wildest, even the messiest physical comedy without losing her feminine appeal. The New York Times asked me to divide the credit for its success between the writers, the directors, and the cast. I told them, give Lucy 90% of the credit Divide the other 10% among the rest of us. Desi concluded, Lucy was the show. Viv and Fred and I were just props. Damn good props, but props nevertheless. 
P.S. I Love Lucy was never just a title. Lucy was visibly moved and then more than happy to give herself over to a musical tribute from B. Arthur, Valerie Harper, and Pam Dauber. Lucy would say later, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had this thing to keep me occupied. Desi died and my show got canceled. If I hadn't had this, if I hadn't had this reassurance that I was still wanted, I don't think I could have gone on. After that, it was back to seclusion. The next time Lucille Ball would appear before a large audience would be on March 29, 1989 at the Academy Awards, where she and Bob Hope were supposed to co-introduce a musical number. By now, Ball was 77, but that didn't stop her from showing up in a dress with a slit skirt that showed off her legs, and the crowd loved it, giving she and Hope a standing ovation. Just a couple of weeks later, Ball was taken to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center due to chest pains and ended up undergoing an eight-hour aortic transplant. The surgery was successful, and all signs pointed to her recovery. But on April 26th, Ball awoke suddenly with severe back pain, lost consciousness, and died. Doctors said it was a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. Ironically, John Ritter, her best Life with Lucy guest star, would later die of the same ailment. Lucille Ball was known worldwide, and accolades poured in. The familiar film clips were shown, mostly from I Love Lucy. Life with Lucy was barely mentioned, if at all. There was too much of another legacy to talk about. A few weeks later, Lucy Arnaz appeared on a TV interview and said it best. Lucille Ball is gone but we'll always have Lucy Ricardo. The Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck is written, researched, and narrated by me, David Inman. Thanks for listening. If you listen to us on iTunes, please consider subscribing to the show and also rating us. That helps other people find us. You can also find episodes on the Incredible Inman Facebook page or at IncredibleInman.com on the podcast page. See you later.